Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen and amen. If you take out your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1 as we dig into the heart, the meat, the soul of this amazing book, and right out of the get-go, the value of trials and tests. Anybody have any of those today? Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things you can almost imagine James kind of giving this introduction saying, hi, my name is James, and it's been five minutes since my last trial. You know, it's almost like he's in a support group. When you think about the church, and you think about tests, and you think about trials, you think about things going on in our lives uh, that are from a circumstantial point, uh, what we would call a difficulty or maybe something negative, it's like the average person who's a believer goes through trials and tests almost every day, many times every day. And so this subject matter, that of tests and of trials, is extremely important to the body of Christ. And so you might expect that a book such as this, written by James, who lived in the same household as Jesus, who grew up in a Jewish home that was now being invaded by this worldview that would change the world, this Christian worldview uh, in a Jewish culture, you can almost imagine James himself going, well, this is my story, this is my song, and I'm not praising my Savior necessarily all day, every day. The value of trials and the value of tests. Would you join me? We'll pray, and we'll pick up here in verse 2, and really just three verses tonight, a lot of meat in those three verses. And so uh, let's pray together. Father, Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, your name is hallowed, you're holy. And Lord, sometimes we just want to say, God, why? And yet, really, the question is, God, what? What are you doing with these tests and trials that we're going through? And we pray tonight, I pray for those that are here, those watching online, those that will watch this later or listen to it as an audio file. God, we pray that you would help us to see the extreme value of the trials and the tests that you allow in our lives. Speak to us through your marvelous word. Encourage your church and strengthen us as we walk in these days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brethren, who are his brethren? Not talking about his brothers necessarily, Joseph and the gang, Simon. But he's talking about other believers, people who are also part of the body of Christ. Male and female, in other words, you might say, my family in Christ, my brethren, count it all joy. In other words, take all of these things 
and place them into a category wherein you account for them as being something that brings joy somehow, some way, when you fall into various trials. That word trial could be also translated tests. Things that are going to go on in your life that ultimately uh, you would look at and, and go, this wasn't exactly a bunch of fun, but it provided something in my life that was very, very valuable. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, having a conscious understanding that leads you into truth that is retained by your mind, knowing that the testing of your faith, same word as trial, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And probably some of you tonight are going, well, I don't want any more patience. I'm tired of having patience because patience always comes really at the cost of perseverance. That perseverance almost always in the face of trial or testing. I really don't want, thank you, Lord, but I'd rather not gain any more patience tonight. But let patience, when it has its perfect or completed work, that you may be complete or perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Boom. Mic drop. There's the intro. There's really the story of James' life. And when we look at the Bible as a, as a whole, almost the entirety of the Bible is this story. People who go through difficulty, trial, test, things that they weren't prepared for, uh, didn't have in view. I, I went through one of those days today and I got phone calls and emails and things went on and you're sitting there, it's just like, I, I literally thought to myself, Jeffrey Scott Gill, you are an absolute idiot. You are the one that decided to teach the book of James. And then I thought, no, that was the Holy Spirit that actually told me that's a good time for us to do this. But in a practical sense, the moment you begin to teach on trial, the moment you say, hey, I'm doing great with that trial, the moment you say, well, I think everything's fine, then you can almost always count on the enemy turning up the heat in the kitchen and also the Lord saying, okay, you believe it. Let's see if you actually believe it. Now, how many of you actually like driving on the freeways here in LA? Notice no hands went up. That's because you're all sane. But I think most of us can say safely that we drive on the freeways out of necessity for the most part. Amen? You're, you're not going to pick to go the wrong direction at any point in time. You're not going to volunteer to spend more than 30 seconds longer than you absolutely have to while on the freeways here in Los Angeles. So I have a meeting. This meeting is supposed to be in Orange County. And so thanks to the miracle of modern technology and our cell phones, we can now all send each other a pin on a Google map, right? This is where we're going, or you're going to go to some place. In this case, 
I will leave the name of the place out because I'm really only trying to use this for illustration and I want you to know it turned out okay. So I get a text, we're going to be meeting here. Well, this here happened to be a pin of a place that's over by Knott's Berry Farm. By the time I got to about the 6.05, it's like, oh, that's the wrong place. We actually meant the one that's down here by the 22. So I turned down the 6.05, head down to the 22. I got to the 22, and as I'm about to turn on to the 22, no, it's actually the one that's down here off of Edinger. I get all these, we have all this technology. I got three successive map pins that were all the wrong one, and each time, don't you love it, recomputing. I traveled 38 miles the wrong way. I got there an hour late with all the technology. If someone had just said it's at the corner of this street and that street, I would have been there in eight minutes. And the whole time I'm like, I'm losing my cool. I'm like, God, you know I hate this. And and by the time I got most of the way there, I started laughing. It's like, Lord, you're saying something to me, aren't you? I'm teaching on James chapter 1 tonight. And you want me to count this all joy. You want me to have this illustration for how you can, in your mind, begin to think there's no plan, there's no purpose, this is ridiculous, why would God allow this? And the Lord the whole time was saying, see, this is what it's like. This is the truth that you're going to convey tonight. Count it all joy, brethren. Oh, this is a little thing. This is certainly not a big thing. But little things can steal our joy, can't they? It doesn't take big things to steal our joy. It matters where we put these trials and these tests on the grand scheme of things if we want to count them all joy. And that's really the message tonight and what I pray we'll be able to convey in our time together. Probably many of you have Use that axiom yourself, you know, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. And while it's not found in the Bible, it is also true. You know, if you grab a lemon off a tree and you just take a bite out of it, you're probably going to be displeased with the flavor. But that same lemon in proper proportion mixed with the right amount of water and the right amount of sugar and the right amount of ice on a hot day is something wonderful, isn't it? So it's really the same substance, but it is what you do with it. It's how you process it. It's what goes into what you're making that determines whether it tastes good or it tastes really bitter. Because you can take that same lemon and try and bite through uh, the peelings and you're going to find out it's not really all that great. And even when you get to the, it's going to be a little more sour than you probably would like on any given day. And it's easier, at least for me, it may not be for you, to smile at that statement than it is to practice it. It's a lot easier to say, yeah, you know, just give me some lemons, I'll make some lemonade. And then you get a basket of lemons and what happens? 
Instead of lemonade, it's lemon face. It's sourpuss. It's like, oh man. And so throughout the Bible, we're going to find these stories of God's people who turn disaster and defeat uh, into victory. And the result of these cumulative victories are the increasing of our faith and its completion. And so tonight, I want to kind of walk through these verses and hopefully put them in a place where they're accessible to us on a daily basis, because we all need this truth. Because here's the truth to you. Jesus made it very clear, in this world, you will have tribulations. You're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. You're going to go through things that when you look at them, it's like, Man, Jesus was not kidding there in John chapter 16. He meant what he said. But he also said, I've overcome the world. And so the world that you're going to have the tribulation in, Jesus himself said, I've overcome it. And so when you fall into these trials, into these tests, notice this passage doesn't say if, it says when. It doesn't say you might, it says you will. It's not indicating it's an option. This is an absolute certainty. And the only question is the severity and the measure of them. You're going to fall into trial. You're going you're to have some tests that are going to come your way. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, as he spoke to his spiritual family in Acts chapter 14, actually reminds us of an even deeper truth And he says, we must go through much tribulation or trial to enter into the kingdom of God. And so these principles are really spiritual accounting principles. They're things that you need to know to properly take the books of your life in a spiritual sense and make them tally up so that the bottom line is what God wants. The word that's translated count here actually is an accounting term. It means to determine the outcome. And so when you think on what's going on here, because of who we are, and I want you to think about this, because of who we are in this world, we are actually displaced people as believers. We're scattered people. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. The Bible uses all kinds of words for us as the body of Christ. But they all point the same direction. This world is not our home. Amen? So we're actually foreigners in a foreign land in that sense. Now you're all saying, well, you know, I was born here in America, or I immigrated here, or I've come here, and this is now where I live. And that's all true. But the fact of the matter is, for the child of God, this earth is not our home. We actually are citizens of a greater kingdom. That kingdom is the kingdom of God, Its location in its perfection is heaven. It's not here. And so we are actually strangers while we're here. We live underneath an oppressive foreign government. That government has a president. That president, the God of this age, is actually the devil. And so the world that we live in is largely affected by and governed by principles that are not Christian. Hence the fact that we have so many trials and tribulations as believers because we actually think differently than a vast majority of the people in the world. 
We've been asked to act differently than a vast majority of the people in this world. And so the enemy of our soul, Satan, is actually against us. So in one sense, you can expect trials and tribulations just because the devil hates your guts. He, he wants you to be miserable. But God brings tests and trials into your life because he loves you. So here's the good news. You're going to have tests and trials from both places. The enemy's going to try and break you, and God's going to try and make you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The enemy's going to try and break you, and God's going to try and make you. So you're going to have tests, and you're going to have trials from two different sources. One that's very good, and one that's very bad. But you're going to get it from both sides. As long as we're here and we're not perfected, then we're on a journey of perfection. So you can expect God to continue to do that work of perfecting us. You can also expect the devil to continue that work of affecting us. He wants to affect your walk with the Lord. He wants to steer you off the path. He wants to discourage you. He wants to beat you up. So the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? Because when the devil tests you, he's trying to break you. And God's trying to make you. And so God's taking that same thing that the devil's trying to beat you up with, and he's saying, guess what, Jeff? We're going to use this for good. We're, we're going to construct something wonderful in your life out of this thing that maybe the enemy is trying to destroy you with. And so whether it's good or whether it's bad, God wants to turn it to good. This is the principle that Genesis 50 teaches us in the life of Joseph. In fact, so much so that what the enemy meant for evil, you, God, turned to good. This is Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, that God works together for the good, all things, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So God is doing something with everything, including the stuff that's tough. The stuff that hurts. The stuff that you might be tempted to say, how do I have joy in this? Peter emphasizes, actually in this first letter, there in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange. Now check this out. Verse 12, 1 Peter 4. Do not think it strange concerning a fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. In other words, you shouldn't think it's weird. You shouldn't think it's crazy. You wouldn't, shouldn't think it's abnormal when some wild, crazy thing happens to you. God is actually at work even in those things that are fighting us and opposing us and makes this life, a, a, quite frankly, a battle at times. Amen? Anybody had battles in your life as a believer? Uh, if you haven't, you will. If you aren't today, you might tomorrow. That's the life of the believer. It's not going to all be easy-peasy stuff. You're going to have some difficult things you're going to go through. And let me be very clear here. You should not attempt to manufacture extra trials. There are plenty for you. You know, so don't be a knucklehead. Don't help the enemy. He doesn't need any help, okay? And, and you don't want to test God 
in a way that you're, well, Lord, you know, I, you know how strong I am. Just give me something hard. That's probably also not necessary. But God is going to allow in your life, and Satan is going to try to do to you what the Bible calls various, diverse, you could use the word multicolored, you could also use variegated, you could use multitudes, or manifold difficulties, trials, or tests in your life. This Greek word, poikilos, the best word is actually variegated, multicolored. Many faceted. Why is that important? Because you can take something that's already variegated, when you mix them together, it makes an infinite number of colors. And the same is true for the trials that you go through. When you mix up certain things, on a given day, something that is a trial today may not be a trial tomorrow. Something that wasn't a trial today may be a trial tomorrow. There are infinite number of ways that you can look at almost everything in life. Sometimes things are trials simply by their very nature. The enemy is trying to break you, and so he sends things your way that are just plain difficult. But there are things that are good that can also be a trial to you. Amen? I'll give you one. Money. Money in itself is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Why is that important? doesn't say money's evil. It says when you start to have another God and you love money more than you love God, you can bring all kinds of things which are not inherently evil themselves into your life that combine together with the circumstances of your life can put you in harm's way, and they become a test for you. Are you going to cling to those things which are directly related to those financial things which might actually be good, but they're drawing away from the Lord? They're taking you out of the center of God's will. They're giving you a test. Jeff, do you love me more than you love financial security? Do you love me more than you love a bigger house, a new car? You see, that's a test, that's a trial. God's allowing it in my life to actually validate how much I love him. Do you love me, Jeff, more than these? So here comes this test. Let me give you another one that's also good. Comfort. I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. I was sharing with the staff yesterday at Devotions. I now understand why people, as they get older, buy Velcro shoes. <laughs> Not saying I have any yet, but I do have some slip-ons. Why? Because you don't have to spend all that time bent over tying them puppies. You can just slip them on. You can get a stick, push that Velcro over. The same thing is true with leisure suits and sweatsuits. And you, like you walk around your house, look, you can, you can, it's easy to like to be comfortable, amen? But can I tell you, sometimes God doesn't want you comfortable. 
actually wants you to work at those things. He doesn't want you to take the Velcro shoes. He wants you to get those dress shoes that, you know, you've got to do the laces backwards and tie the knot upside down in order for them to look good. You, you see, God does that. He brings things into our lives that for his purposes are actually hard. They're difficult. They build character in your life. Diligence. He's actually doing something where he's saying to you, look, I I want this to be a little bit harder than you would like it to be, Jeff. I don't want you to actually be comfortable right now. I kind of want to stir things up in your life. The trials of life are like that. They're like variegated yarn. Starts at one end, maybe it's dark and it gets progressively lighter and then it goes back to dark and progressively lighter and it goes on and on and on. It kind of is one color at one end and it's another color at the other. Very often when you see these types of yarns woven together, Connie and I were in Santa Fe, New Mexico many years ago and we were in this area of the center of Santa Fe that's the old mission area. And we went through this place that's part of the mission. It's on the edge of, the, edge of it. And there were some Navajo weavers there. They were actually being taught by a master weaver. And you're looking at these ones on the wall, and you're just going, man, those things are awesome. Unbelievable work in these. And by the way, sometimes these rugs sell for tens of thousands of dollars and occasionally very, very, very old ones that are made by certain artists can be worth more than a million dollars. They take four to 500 hours of individual labor of somebody sitting there and putting individual pieces of yarn into this unbelievable pattern. But as kind of we're watching, there's this loom set up and there's this guy that's working on one. I'm sitting there looking, I go, man, that is the ugliest rug I've ever seen. It's like, how are they going to sell that thing? I'm looking at it, there's little pieces hanging out of it, and it's kind of like, it looks like it's unfinished. And Then I realize you're looking at the back side of it. It's the other side that's the beautiful side. That's where they take the yarns and tie them off and clip the edges, and the back side is the place kind of where a lot of the work is done. And the same thing is true for our lives as we go through things in Christ. God is weaving a tapestry. He's weaving a carpet. He's weaving something beautiful out of your life. But as he's working on it, there are frayed strands. There are intersections of color that don't belong. There are things that you're going through that when you look at it from the improper perspective, when you've not counted for it correctly, it doesn't look like it's going to look when you are complete and lacking nothing. It looks like a jumbled mess. And so that principle is taught here in the book of James. In the same way, when you look from the wrong side of life, you don't see the finished product. You don't see what God's doing in your life. You see a a clipped off thread that looks like it should be somewhere else in someone else's life. And so James is teaching us this principle of making sure that we're looking at things correctly and putting them in the proper space on the spreadsheet that is your life. In other words, where you put it, what column it goes into on your spreadsheet of life actually matters. 
I don't know how many of you are familiar with using Microsoft Excel or something like it, a spreadsheet uh, program, but one of the things you can do with it is you can create formulas. You drop those into cells, and when you put another integer into that box, it automatically computes that formula. You can put some, you know, it may be the sum of several columns or something like that. And the moment you put a four in there, it takes all these other things over here that were already on the spreadsheet and multiplies them times four. And the reason I'm sharing this with you, this is the same principle that's in view here in the book of James. You have to count it all joy. It's got to go in the right box because if you put it in the wrong box, it doesn't come out joy. It comes out anger. It comes out bitterness. It comes out hatred. It comes out something other than joy. It has to go in the right box on the spreadsheet of life. If you don't put it in that joy box, then it isn't joy. It will be something else. And it's so important for us to then look at the things that God allows in our life and say, God, which box does it belong in? This is a financial term, and it means to evaluate. In other words, you have to actually look at it and say, this is where it belongs, and put it there. It's not going to happen automatically. And in fact, if you don't pay attention, and you just start typing in numbers into your spreadsheet, you get some crazy things that occur. And so in your life, with trials, with tests, with the things that God allows in your life, the same principle is true. You have to take the things that happen in your life and you are responsible for putting them where they belong. That's your job. You have to count them all joy. I have to say, Lord, it's like my example that I did the introduction with tonight. I eventually had to go after about the second MapQuest link that went to Google Maps and I'm going, well, this isn't quite working out the way. Now, I could sit there and get angry with it. Or I could go, man, there must be something great's going to happen in this meeting because the devil's working really hard to make sure that I am angry as all get out by the time I get there. That I've gone through all kinds of hassle and headache. He's trying to do something. So I had to look at it. It's like, man, this is awesome because something good is going to happen. God is allowing this to produce patience in me because something is going to happen at this meeting I'm going to. It's all in how I accounted for it. Where did I put it? Didn't change the fact that I went to three different locations before I got to the right one. Didn't change the fact that I went down streets I didn't want to drive down. Didn't change the fact that I drove past the off-ramp that I, originally, that I actually would have gotten off on and gone to the right place first, but I turned around and went eight miles the wrong direction. You see, I had to put it in the right column and saying, God, you're getting ready to do something. This is awesome. I had to allow God to use it for joy. Paul uses the same term there in Philippians 3. Does it go in the garbage column? Or does it go in the gold column? Are you looking at it from God's perspective? Or are you looking at it from your perspective? Are you saying this is circumstantially a bad thing? Or are you saying, God, you must be doing a good thing. And if you're doing it, you're in it. You're helping me with this. This isn't the enemy. I can tell that clearly. You see, 
the internal value that I determine will then determine the external evaluation of almost everything. It's what do I do with it? You can see this in your married life. If you're here and you're married tonight. Love hopes all things, believes all things, and bears all things. Love never fails. But whose responsibility is it to love? It's yours. You see, if you're not hoping all things, if you're not hoping things, if you're not believing all things, if you're believing that love does fail, if you put it in the wrong box, then what are you going to see? You're going to see a failure. You're going to see the failure of your spouse. You're going to see your own failures. You're going to look at your marriage as a mess because you counted it not as joy. You didn't put it in the right box. You said, this is just misery, and you counted it as misery, and then you assessed it as misery, and then you actually turned it into misery. We have to count it all joy when we go through various trials, diverse trials, variegated trials, many or multifaceted trials. When we go through stuff in life, God is looking to do something wonderful. The enemy is the one that's trying to destroy you. Even if it is something bad. When we face trials, we have to evaluate them in light of, God, what are you doing? Not, oh no, this isn't working out the way I want it to. In that sense, when I live for the right things, then I can have things that matter, that mean the most to me, even be negative. Circumstantially. When I care about what God cares about, that's the way it works. And some things that you can think on, you might view it this way. If you value comfort more than you do character, then trials are going to upset you. If you value material things and physical things more than you do spiritual things, it's going to be very tough to count all things joy. Because all Satan has to do is remove a few material things, physical things, and all of a sudden life has no joy. My walk has no joy. If it's just the tangible things that I can see. This is the, this is the thing that Job had to learn in Job chapter 23, he finally gets it. And speaking of God, he says, but he knows the way that I take and he has tried me and I will come forth as gold. Job understood that there was a process going on in his life and that when those trials come, those difficulties come, the things that um, we would prefer that do not come our way, when they do come our way, when my outlook determines the outcome, if I end with joy, I have to begin with joy. If you begin with bitterness, it's really tough to reverse that. If you, end with, if you begin with anger with God, it's very tough to turn that into joy. You have to start with God loves me. There's a plan in this. I'm going to look for God's plan. I have to evaluate what it is, put it in the right column. That is when it can be joy in my life, even if it's difficulty. 
You're probably asking yourself right now, how in the world we do that? Well, here's how. We're actually told. We, we are given the insight immediately. Knowing then, verse 3, knowing then, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. There is the secret ingredient. There is the one that is a tough commodity at times in my own life. I am not by nature a patient person. I am by nature a doer. I am an A personality. I'm one of those people, it's like there's 45 ways to do it. I'm going to figure out all 45 and add a 46th one. I am that weird person. Don't tell me what I can't do, because until I've tried absolutely everything to get that done, there's not an end in sight. I, that's just the way God wired me. And to some degree, it can be a benefit, it can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse, because here's what happens. After about the 43rd thing, it stops being joy. It's like, Ugh. And I lose patience. And all of a sudden, I become short. You're all going, oh, I hope I don't catch him on that day. This is the same and we know that Paul uses in Romans 8.28. We know, that's the imperative, that the testing of our faith, the testing of what? Our faith. That's not just your saving faith. That's your faith in God. That's the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen that we find in Hebrews 11. That's your resting in him, your trusting in him, your believing in him. That's your faith in his promises. That's your faith in who he is. That's your faith in believing that he is good and his mercies endure forever. That's not just saving faith. That's faith that enables you to walk. Knowing that the testing of absolutely everything of the fiber of your relationship with God, which is in its entirety all based on faith, because we can't see him, amen? No one's ever seen God and lived. That's what the Bible says. We see the results of God. We see things that God is doing in, in this world. But I have to trust him by faith. I walk with him by faith. The testing of my faith produces patient waiting for God to accomplish his purposes. The testing of my faith produces patient waiting for God to accomplish his purposes. That's the inference here. What do we actually know? Well, what we know is our faith is always going to be tested. Otherwise, we wouldn't know it's real. If God didn't test the things that I cannot see, see, they're not like the things that I can see. I can tell you that all of you that I see out here are all sitting in pews. The pews are made out of oak, and they kind of have a mauve, like purple-ish fabric that's on them. I can see that. That's a tangible thing. But I can't see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can't see the level of love that exists in your heart. 
I, I can't see the amount of patience that you have. I can't see whether you believe God for your daily bread. I can't see God's provision in your life. Those things all get tested. Because I have to have patience and wait on God. My faith is going to be tested. Why? That's how I know it's real. Whenever you test something, and it doesn't matter what it is, I don't care if it's the R&D on the pocket fisherman by Ron Popeil. I don't care if it's something simple in your life. The more you test something, the more you trust something. The more work you do in using it, putting it to test, and seeing that it doesn't fail the more fail-safe the thing becomes. So if you're testing your faith, what happens to your faith? It becomes more real. It becomes more genuine. It becomes something that you lay hold of and go, my faith is growing. My faith is alive. My faith is real. My trust in God is real. My love for God, my love for other people, these things that we call spiritual principles, become more real when they are Tested. There, there's no other way to do it. When God called Abraham to live by faith, what did he do? What did he do, church? He sent him on a 1,200-mile journey to a place he'd never been, and there were no maps. Did he give him a, a stone? Did he give him a tablet and say, this is how you get there? No, he did not. He said, Abraham, I want you to put one foot in front of the other and I want you to believe that I am who I say I am and I want you to go that way. He didn't show him even the second step. And when he got there, it wasn't exactly easy. There were already people there and they were unfriendly. And ultimately his family moves in and they end up on the border of Sodom. They had to make choices to walk by faith. Their faith was tested. It looked like these people had all the best land. And God said, no, I want you to trust me. I actually want you to move to the land that is not the good land. You give them the good land. You move to the land that's less desirable. That's a test of his faith. Because what had God promised them? I'm going to move you to a good land. I'm going to bring you to a land that's overflowing with milk and honey. And he gets there and it's like, oh my goodness. What is this? Church, God's going to test your faith. The testing of faith begins in the earliest stages of the book of Genesis. What was really the story with Adam and Eve? Do you trust me, Eve? Do you trust me, Adam? Are you going to walk by faith? I've given you reign over everything except that tree. Their faith was tested. Unfortunately, they failed that test. They didn't put it in the God must be right category. Hence joy. 
They said, God must be lying to us. He's deceiving us. He's keeping something from us. So when their faith got tested, they did not patiently wait for the Lord to confirm it. They said, we're going to take it into our own hands. We're going to act in haste. Let's go bite that apple. We have to wait for the Lord to do his thing. And so that testing always works on our behalf. It works for us in that sense. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, there in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The things that God's doing produce in patience as you wait on him and have your faith tested are far more valuable than the things that you can tangibly get for yourself by doing. The waiting in that sense is actually better. The patience is better. The testing is better. In essence, we are being perfected by this patience that comes to us through these trials. But let patience, notice it, verse 4, have her perfect work, That word perfect means complete. Perfected is actually a better word, but it doesn't read well in English. Have its perfected work, completed work, that you may be perfect or completed and entire, lacking absolutely or wanting absolutely nothing. In other words, the testing part is absolutely essential to the real you the completed you, the finished you, your walk with the Lord will not be done and completed until you've gone through all the tests that God has planned for you. Many of you, I'm sure, if not in high school, certainly in college, maybe you've gone to grad school. How many tests do you think you've taken by the time you graduate from grad school? It's hundreds, it's thousands potentially. Why why are you tested in any subject matter? It's to make you complete so that when you get your certificate of graduation, when you hang that shingle on your wall, that it in effect says you completed the course requirements for this degree and it's been conferred upon you by the trustees of that particular school. Why? Because you took all the tests and you passed all the test in a general sense. You completed the course of study. The same is true in the life of a believer. You're in God's college of faith. There are all kinds of tests. You're going to take those tests pretty much every day. You're going to get the little spot quizzes. Jeff, how are you doing with that? You know, you, you were kind of a little short with that person. You got a little more patience today. So what's God going to do to make sure that you get the patience lesson? your patience is going to get tested. How about the bitterness test? Your bitterness is going to get tested. Your anger, your love of money, that problem with your eye, that thing that you covet, those things are all going to be tested until you pass that test and it becomes joy in your life. It's like, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, got a pencil too. Passed all those tests. The word perfect here, teleos, is the same 
word that is ultimately translated, Jesus uses it from the cross in, in its final and most extreme way. He says, to telestai, it is finished. Exact same Greek word. Your life is finished when your faith is fully tested. When you've gone through every test God has for you. What happens when baby Christians get tested? (laughs) Maybe you're in that place right now. But you know what normally happens when baby Christians get tested? It doesn't work out so well. Something that you're just freshly, you know, you were struggling with last week, you kind of get that test, it's like, well, not quite there yet. Why? Because you're not complete. You're still lacking a little bit. That part of your walk, the faith needed to get through that area, has not been fully tested. And so when it gets tested, you end up with a problem. A little bit of carnality, that little bit of immaturity, those things which are not yet perfected, not complete, this Greek word pleris, if you look at that in your life, you can say, look, when I, when I have these things perfected, when I'm teleos, when I'm actually done, then when those things come, I pass that test. And you could apply this to almost any endeavor of learning. Wouldn't matter whether it's English, wouldn't matter whether it's math, wouldn't matter whether it's science, you can pick a subject. And until you've passed enough tests, you don't know the subject matter well enough to say that you're complete in that area. And the same is true for your spiritual life. In order for you to count it all joy, you have to go through enough tests in that area of life that when they come, you're like, boom, done, got this. And here's the great thing. That's usually when you stop having to go through those tests. That's when God doesn't bring that test to you anymore because you've passed it 10 times in a row. You could use a sporting analogy. Same thing with shooting free throws. Until you can hit 10 out of 10, you're going to keep practicing. But when you can hit 10 out of 10 in a row, and you do it over and over and over again, you can lighten up on shooting free throws. But until you get to that place, it's in your best interest to get better at it. And so you keep practicing. God keeps sending those tests to you because the approval of our faith is is precious to God. This word testing can also be translated actually approval. Peter uses the same word in that way and he uses it in relationship to gold in 1 Peter chapter 1. The testing or the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. And here's another example that you can use. If you happen to be a miner, especially here in California during the 1840s, and you were involved in the gold rush when people were scattered all over the hills of pretty much most of the state, they were looking for a spot to where they could find a sample of ore to where they could take it to an assayer's office and they could have it tested to determine how much gold was in it. And so it was the testing of that ore that proved that that mine was valuable, that what you were going to do in its totality had meaning and purpose. The same is true in your spiritual life. That one thing, that one sample of ore is worth nothing. But the testing of it tells you that in the ground, 
There is an unlimited vein of gold that exists in the ground, and so as you are mining for it, you can expect more gold to come out of it. And so Peter uses that analogy, saying that when my faith is tested, the gold in my life is being assayed by the great assayer, which is the Lord himself. He says, look, that's valuable, Jeff. And as that works out in your life, it's going to prove to be a gold mine for you. That's what testing your faith does. It's like, that's really valuable. I need more of that. And so that produces this patient waiting on God. This testing works for me. The approval works for me. When I see these things worked out, it leaves me complete. I'm not lacking. But until that time, I've still got a ways to go. And so God keeps testing. He keeps bringing samples of my life under the microscope of his word and the microscope of his spirit so that these things, when they go under his testing, it's like, well, you got some work to do there, Jeff. So don't despise that testing. You may not get the results you want right away. You need to have patience. Notice what is the result of this testing. Patience. Probably most of you in here say, I don't really want patience. I'm not sure I actually like patience. I don't live in a world that rewards patience. But God does. And God wants us to be perfected by this patience. And so we have to allow him to do it. I want to be complete. In that sense, patience is a farmer's word. Okay, think about this for a second. Patience is is the secret. A farmer plows, and a farmer plants, and a farmer waters, and a farmer waits, right? Doesn't see the results right away. Patience is a farmer's word. It's like you have to rest and trust that that seed that you sowed in that field was good seed. And that that water was sufficient. And those nutrients were adequate. Patience is that ingredient. I don't know how many of you are the impatient type of farmer where you go out there and you kind of, you like knock the dirt off the top of the seed to see if you can make it come up quicker. You have to just wait. There's nothing you can do to speed it up. It's going to take how long it takes. It's a photographer's word. You know, the difference between you with your iPhone and a professional photographer is patience. Seriously, it's just patience. I happen to be a lover of Ansel Adams' photography. There's a museum in Yosemite Valley of his work. It's actually run by his family. But if you look at what Ansel Adams did to capture some of those photographs that are now in the Smithsonian and many other museums, he would often walk for days, set up for hours, to get a single shot that took less than 30 seconds. He had to have patience, looking for the exact right amount of lighting. 
looking for the exact amount of cloud cover in the sky. You had to wait for that moment to occur. That's when the image could be captured. That requires patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. It allows you to wait through things that you might hurry through. Push on when God is telling you to slow down. Patience is also an astronomer's word. One of the craziest things, if you travel, I've had the privilege of being up on Mauna Kea and Mount Palomar and been to a lot of observatories. When you go to observatories, you know, we see these beautiful photographs that they've captured. You, you might look at the Hubble and it's like, yeah, we've finally fixed it and corrected it, so it's taking great images again uh, of nebula and galaxies and things out in space, giant clouds of gas that seem to be where stars are born. All these things take immense patience. You're talking about hundreds of millions of light years. Square space is immense. You've got to be patient. It's not like you go, oh, it's right over there. You're sitting there doing calculations for years sometimes to locate where a certain star is going to be in a galaxy. It requires patience. You've got to wait. It may only happen once in a hundred years. But that particular alignment of all of those stars and the space behind it happens. It's definitely a fruit harvesting word. Anybody in here impatient about the growth of fruit? I am that person. It's like I go out there and I'm like, oh, these look ripe. Why? Because it takes a certain amount of sun, especially for summer fruit. Peaches are terrible when they're not ripe. Amen? Apples are sour when they're not ripe. Amen? Grapes are hard and also sour when they're not ripe. Amen? You, you get the picture? What do you have to do? You got to have patience. You got to wait. There has to be a, enough time go by for that fruit to mature. And the same is true in your spiritual life. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to allow your faith to be tested. You've got to go through those things. that Sometimes we don't like. But this is also one of God's favorite words. Patience is God's word. It takes your whole life for you to come to maturity in Christ. Did you know that? You're on a journey of maturity. We call that word that we use, a a theological word of sanctification, becoming more saint-like, really more like God. That is a lifelong journey, and it takes patience. You're going to be put back on the test facility, on the test track, over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you're incomplete. Because you're not done yet. You're imperfect in that sense. And in fact, sometimes your impatience only prolongs the time that you have to go through those tests. It certainly has in my life. So I'll just share with you. If you want a secret to shorter tests and trials, don't rush God. Just go along for the journey and say, Lord, I'm putting this in the joy column. If you're allowing it, must have a good purpose. I'm going to go through it. 
The word to me is often, Jeff, are you going to wait? And so patience is that secret. We're so used to gratifying ourselves instantaneous. Anybody else figured out that Amazon isn't always good? It's like, look, I, we, Amazon comes to our house pretty frequently. You can, buy any, you, can, you can buy coffee creamer on Amazon. I didn't know that. It's like it just shows up at my door. It's like, honey, there's creamer out here. We're, we're so used to going to fast food restaurants and having fast food. We live in a world of instant gratification. There is no way to reach instant gratification in your walk with the Lord. It isn't going to happen. It's a process. And it's a lifelong process. And it's going to require that you take some tests you don't want to go through a second, third, fourth, tenth time. Just like it takes time for the earth to go around the sun, just as it takes time for the tides to change, to have a high and a low, or just like it took you to grow from a man or a a child into a man or a woman, those things take time. And your spiritual walk is going to take you your entire life. So plan on going through some tests. But when you go through them, put them in the right column. Say, God, you're doing something in my life. You must love me. You're allowing me to go through this. And you can't rush it. One of the saddest things to me, and, and, and I, I mean no disrespect to either of the, any of these three that I'll mention, one is no longer with us, but people like Whitney Houston, Justin Bieber, Kanye West. These are baby, 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 baby Christians. These are immature Christians. And just because they're famous doesn't make them mature. Just because they already have an audience of millions or have millions of followers on Instagram or Twitter does not make them mature. Just because they have an audience doesn't mean they should speak to it. Why? They haven't gone through any tests. and passed any tests that I'm aware of, of any major import. And so what happens? Whitney Houston struggles with drug abuse her entire life and ends up, by most accounts, taking her own life. Justin Bieber in and out of the news. Kanye West goes from rap star to Christian to presidential candidate to somebody who we're not even sure you know, where he's at mentally. And that's not meant to be disrespectful. It's just to say, look at what's happened. This is what happens when you try and rush your maturity. It does does not ever work. That's why the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy said, do not appoint someone to ministry who is a novice, lest they be lifted up with pride and destroyed by the devil. You can't rush it. You've got to take the tests. And if you take the tests, you increase in patience, You're going to find yourself completed and one day we're going to step out of time and into eternity and the value of these tests are going to produce endurance 
You're going to keep going through the tough things in life. When the tough things come, you're going to be able to look at it and go, I've been through that one already. And God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. That's how Paul would write to the church at Rome and say, this is how we glory in these tribulations. Because it works patience. Patience, experience, and experience hope. When you go through those things time after time after time, God's good. God's going to get me through this. Not, well, I lost a bunch of friends. You know, nobody wants to talk to me anymore. And it's not just a patience acceptance of, of circumstances either. It's actually you're mature. You look at things correctly. You see them for what they are. There's a huge value in tests. And I pray that we learn it. I, I pray we don't have to go through any more than we actually need to. And so make sure that you're taking the test properly. Just like any other test. You can cheat. You can cheat on the test. You can try and find a shortcut. You can kind of do a run around the end. And say, well, you know, God's just going to send you right back to the same test again. So take the test. Count it all joy. When you fall into those diverse trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. And when you are complete in that patience, you'll be lacking nothing. And ultimately... You'll step into eternity that way. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. We're going to have some pastors available up front. Maybe you're going through something. You need to pray about it with somebody. So Some of the pastors are going to come down and be available for you to pray. But let God do that work. Uh, he's still doing it in me. So I'm with you. We're in it together. Let's let God finish up the things that he wants to finish up in our lives so we're more useful to the king and to his kingdom. Father, thank you for continuing to mature us and grow us and test us and try us. You, you put us back on the test track. Lord, back in the laboratory, you're, you're making us run those experiments over and over and over again often so that when we get done going through them, we know that our faith is real. It is that thing that is the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. Lord, we may not be able to see you, but as you test our faith, we can see the results of who you are in our lives, and we are so grateful for that. Pray that you would bless us and keep us and watch over us. And Lord, as we go through things in life, give us the patience to endure as good soldiers. And give us victory in these areas, Lord, where perhaps yesterday we weren't quite so successful. So continue to mold us and shape us so that when that test comes, we'll be ready for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.